So, On Earth As It Is in Heaven, all right? It's the series we're gonna be doing through the month of January. And one of the best ways, Eric mentioned a moment ago, to understand this series is to understand where we are in the church calendar. Like, we just came out of Advent, all right? And so we did a series as a church, and it was about longing and anticipation, not just of Christmas Day, but about the King to come back and to set everything right. And it's to see the season of waiting and of anticipation. And then Christmas happened, right? And technically, according to the church calendar, all right, if, and that might not be familiar to, in language for you, but traditionally, um, we've now officially, kind of as of today, wrapped up Christmas, all right? So if you're like me and the tree is still up, it's time to put that thing away, burn it, put it to the, well, maybe don't burn it, but put it to the road, right? Um, it's, it's, it's okay, like Christmas is officially over and we move into this season that's known as epiphany. And the idea here is it's about Jesus, this manifestation of who he is as the son of God come into the world to showcase his power and his strength, not just a couple thousand years ago, but here and now through his church. Robert Weber in his book called Ancient Future Times said it this way, he describes his coming to understand even what this season is about. And this is what this series is about, is about showcasing like who Jesus is and what we're called to as the church. Like how does this mission get lived out? And so he described it this way, he says, this manifestation, I realize font size is gonna be a little different because it's normally up there, so um, just pretend you can see it. But um, this manifestation, this epiphany, was not to be a thing of the past, Something that happened 2,000 years ago, but was going to be an appearance now in the body of Christ assembled, an epiphany in me. I had been called from light to darkness, and now I was to be a manifestation of Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is your calling. This is my calling. My part was to respond, to say yes to the calling, to commit my, my life to be a center through which the epiphany could be extended beyond the crib to the world of my everyday experiences. We've moved out of Christmas and now we're in this season here and there's this invitation for us as a church to explore some topics together about what does it look like to be the church in our cultural moment and seek to bring about justice and peace and mercy and all of the, these things. And so we did this series last year. We explored these topics and we're here again a year later to do it. My commitment to you guys was, hey, this isn't just to be a one time and then we move on. So a year ago, I stood on this exact stage in the first Sunday of January and said, here's where we're going. We're in this, this series on earth as it is in heaven. And I told you that I was a little bit nervous. And I told you I was nervous, not just because the topics are some difficult things to talk through, though that's certainly part of it. Um, it's not just because I'm, you know, I'm not a subject matter expert on, on really any of the, these things, all right? Um, and so there's parts of me that's like, I don't know, what do I have to contribute to this conversation? I think there's things that there was a nervousness even of sometimes you get into this realm and like we want to boldly proclaim the gospel um, and sometimes there can be accusations that can come of like, well, are you compromising the gospel? Are you just kind of going a social route? Like what, what are we doing as a church? So all those things sort of running through my mind. But the biggest thing, and I shared this last year, was I believe that there's a nervousness because if we embrace this, this call of Jesus, this epiphany calling, it would be costly. And it was costly in 2018, but can I encourage you as a church? It was beautiful, and it was glorious to see, and God honoring to see the ways that you all used your, your time, your talent, your, your treasure to serve the community. And so the ways that our involvement increased outside of the walls of, of this place, although it included this place because we were serving with the YMCA, but we're involved in Samaritan Village, the women who have been brought out of human trafficking and the way that our church stepped in and served there, the way that 
more people have served with Orlando Children's Church for a lot of kids from under-resourced neighborhoods that hearing the gospel and being loved on provided meals, like that's happening every week and there's quarterly serve projects. There's things throughout the year we've been able to do here at the YMCA. You guys gave $40,000 last year to help with these organizations and that got matched by an outside grant. Like there's so many beautiful things that happen. So I just wanna say thank you. I, I stand here and think, wow, look, look what God did in 2018 as our church, by God's grace, began to embody this calling, to be the church, this epiphany calling. And my hope and my prayer is that we will see the Lord do amazing things in 2019. So we wanna start out the year together and we're gonna look at this out of this morning about Jesus's prayer and this idea of justice. And what does it look like to be the church that would bring justice? We'll talk about this as a right ordering of things. So let me encourage you, I do this every week, but I think even in particular today with the screen being a little bit different, if you get your phone out and you go to cpwp.life, swipe over the second card that you'll see says message notes on there. Anything that is on the, the screen here is gonna be there in a space so you could follow along, might be able to see it a bit better than what is here, but we're gonna start by looking at Matthew. We read it together a moment ago, but Matthew chapter six, nine to 13, and this is the Lord's Prayer. So I just wanna read it one more time and let this be the passage, it will be the passage that we kind of center on in a particular, a particular phrase here that we'll see in Matthew six ten. But the disciples have asked Jesus, they're like, Lord, will you teach us to pray? Like, how should we pray? And so Jesus says, Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As you think about prayer, there's this calling, this invitation, this call of reverence on the one hand, and also, but there's this closeness, this intimacy. He tells us to address God as Father. What we're gonna see in this series too is the way that God is introduced is that he is a father to the, to the orphan and to the helpless and the marginalized. Like that's how God identifies himself, that he cares deeply for his people, that he cares deeply about the concerns that you've brought in here this morning. So our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so over these next few weeks, we wanna zero in on this verse here, Matthew 6, 10, as part of this prayer. It's this kingdom language, your kingdom come. It says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That Jesus is instructing us to say, listen, there's a way that things are as God intends them to be. That is what is spoken of as the heavenly realm. And we have an opportunity as a church to participate in seeing the renewal of our communities, our lives, our cities, our neighbors, our own families, all of that. And so there's this prayer. Would we focus on this as a church? Your kingdom come. Not my kingdom, not the kingdom of Crosspoint, not your kingdom. It's great that you've got plans and resolutions and all of the, those things, but it's ultimately, it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about Jesus' kingdom coming, that the kingdom of light would push back the kingdom of darkness. There's brokenness. And it's not just out there in the world. Like it's here this morning in this place. It's in my heart. It's in your heart. And we wanna pray that the kingdom of God would be seen more clearly. And so he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Well, what is the Lord's will? And we wanna talk about those things in this series. On earth as it is in heaven, 
that the heavenly realm would begin to break into this time and in this place and that where we inhabit, the communities we live, the places we go to work or to school would begin to look more like the heavenly realm than just the earthly realm. And as the church, we get to help showcase that. This is this epiphany. This is this mission that we're called to. And it is costly and it is difficult and you're gonna be discouraged at times and wonder how in the world, like, are, this, are we even making any sort of difference? And it's why we need each other. This is not a calling for you as an individual. This is a calling for us as the people of God together as the church. And so what we want to explore then is how does this actually happen? Like how can we begin to see this take place? And so what I want to do with our time that we have this morning is go back to an ancient text. All right, It's written from one king to another king, from a father to a son. Because what we've been looking at here is, is kingdom language, understanding how God's kingdom works. And this invitation that we have, and so there's this ancient, it's called the Psalm in the Old Testament, and it's Psalm chapter 72, and I want to go there. So if you got a Bible, turn there. Again, it'll be at cpwp.life in the message notes. If you're using one of the Bibles that are back there, you can turn to page 537 is where you'll find this. But the context here, there's sort of a, there's an ancient context, and then we will look at present day implications and application. But I want to do a quick survey at first of just sort of what was happening back then in that time and that place? And you had a king named David. And David, this psalm, sort of the context, most historians and commentators will agree, is about his son Solomon about to take the throne. And so what we have here is a bit of a commissioning. It's, it's a father who is a king but saying to his son, listen, here's your calling. And I believe if we understand the calling that is given to this man, we'll better understand the calling that we have together, like individually but collectively as the church, that there's this purpose that is seen in these verses, all right? And so we're gonna look at Psalm 72 together, and it starts out, and it just says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. You kind of picture this, this father in this loving moment. that He's nearing the end of his life, and he's like, Lord, will you bless my son? He has a high and a holy and an important calling, and he's gonna need your help. And so he says, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. And so what I wanna do, let me just read this, and here's what we'll, I'll just comment on briefly in these sections that we'll see how this rule and reign is described. It's a, it's a father's hope for his son as he steps into this place of leadership to say, okay, Here's what you're called to. You're called to a righteous reign. And we're praying that it is this never-ending reign and a boundless reign and compassionate and that it's a blessed reign. So look with me as I read this. I'll just make some comments along the way. Verse one, give the king your justice, O God, and your righteousness to the royal son. And it says this, may he judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. Let the mountains bear prosperity for the people and the hills in righteousness. May he defend the cause of the poor of the people, give deliverance to the children of the needy, and crush the oppressor. We're going to come back to these verses, but if you've got something to write with, or if you've got your Bible, or you just want to, you've got just with your memory, remember these words, justice, righteousness, and prosperity. Because if we understand those things, we will understand what it looks like to see the heavenly realm break into this realm. We'll see more clearly not only what was Solomon's calling, but what is our calling as the church in 2019. And there's this 
picture here, there's this reminder from a father to a son, listen, your role is to be a protector of the weak. That not everybody has the advantages that you have. Not everybody has the power that you have. Not everybody has the same set of circumstances. And he's not saying to his son that your circumstances are going to be perfect, but he is telling him you need to leverage what you've been given, not for your own gain, but you need to see those that are in need of help. This is the righteous reign. He continues, verse five to seven. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations. So there's this longevity here. There's a, there's a calling here. He's reminding his son. He's speaking to this new ruler that's coming on the scene. And he's telling him, like, this is not to be a short thing. This is to be extended. That there's some bigger story that you've been brought into. May they fear you while the sun endures. And as long as the moon throughout all generations. May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass and like showers that water the earth. There's a picture of prosperity, of what would have brought economic prosperity and vibrancy. It's like, here's a calling you have. And then he says, in his days, may the righteous flourish and peace abound to the moon be no more. So this is a, this is a never-ending sort of kingdom that he's talking about. He's like, God is doing something in the world, and now it's your time to play your part. And the question becomes, will we play our part well? Will this characterize us as a church? It continues, look at verses 8 to 11, this boundless reign. May he have dominion from sea to sea, which is language that comes right out of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. We'll look at more in a moment. From the river to the ends of the earth, may desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. Like you know you've defeated somebody if they're licking the dust, right? That's this kind of powerful image But it's this dominion, this dynasty, it's just moving forward. Like God's kingdom is moving out, not only from Jerusalem in a particular location, but it's spreading out over all of the world. God's intentions from the very beginning have been to build a people, to build a kingdom that would be a blessing to all the nations. Maybe you started a Bible reading plan this year. Maybe you're early on then in the book of Genesis and you've probably come across a man named Abram who gets name gets turn to Abraham and he is the father of the Jewish people but he's told that he's going to be a blessing not just for his followers and his descendants and his family but what to be a blessing to all the nations this has been God's intentions from the very beginning we're going to see this throughout this series and so here Solomon is being reminded of this verse 10 may the kings of Tarshish and of the coastlands render him tribute may the kings of Sheba and Seba bring gifts may all kings fall down before him all nations serve him, that there's this expansive nature of God's kingdom, of God's rule and reign. And then we see this description again, verse 12 to 14, but it's a compassionate reign. It's a merciful reign. For he delivers the needy when he calls, the poor and him who has no helper. That the king is supposed to see these people. He's not supposed to be above them. He's not supposed to say, well, that's for somebody else to mess with and to bother with. I can't be, you know, disrupted from my kingly duties. No. He's to pay attention. He has pity on the weak and the needy, and he saves the lives of the needy. From oppression and violence, he redeems their life, and precious is their blood in his sight. That he realizes that everybody is an image bearer. So David is instructing Solomon, you need to know that everybody is made in the image and likeness of God, and their blood, it is precious. Their concerns matter their difficulties, their struggles, their celebrations, will you enter in? Do not become detached. And the great tendency, I believe, in your life and in my life is to become detached. We get busy with our own things. 
And so it leads to this blessed reign. Look at verse 15 to 17. So long may he live, may gold of Sheba be given to him, may prayer be made for him continually and blessings invoked for him all the day. May there be abundance of grain in the land. On the tops of the mountains, may it wave, may its fruit be like Lebanon, and may people blossom in the cities like the grass of the field. May his name endure forever, his fame continue as long as the sun. There's that longevity again. May people be blessed in him, and all nations call him blessed. There's almost a direct reference to Genesis chapter 22 and those closing words there that after Abraham is willing to give up his only son, Isaac, the Lord reminds him again of his covenant and says, I've got this plan of how I'm going to work to be a blessing to all peoples. And so we read that. That's a quick survey, right? But So what do we do with that this morning? What do we seeking to be as a church. And what we need to see in this, all right, what I need to see, what you need to see, what we need to embrace collectively as a church is these were words, yes, that were given from a father to a son, from David the king to Solomon as king as he assumed the rule and reign of God's people. But this is not just for Solomon. Here's the reality of the situation. You and I have a royal calling. You have a royal purpose that you have been set apart by God, that you've been created with a divine purpose not to be the king, not to be the ultimate king. Even Solomon wasn't the ultimate king, all right? Like we await that. That's what we were looking at even in the Advent series and that season. So we know that's Jesus, but there is a royal calling. So if we were to go back, what I want to read to you is out of Genesis chapter one, there is kingdom language that exists from the very opening pages of the Bible. That there's language that's being used to showcase what it looks like for you and I to embrace our role. Maybe a way to think about it is like a vice regent. Like we have things that have been put under our care, under our charge, and the question becomes, will we steward those things well? So in Genesis chapter 1, after the creation, you know, there's the different days of creation, and he's going through that, and then God makes man and he makes woman. And here's how it's described. Here's how your identity is described. It says this, then God said, let us make man in our image. And that word image is something we need to make sure we understand. It says, after our likeness, and then let these images have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. This is spoken of just to the man and to the woman. This is not said about the animals, all right? As much as you might love your dog or your cat or anything that you see out there, those things don't get this sort of marker, this sort of designation. It's you and me and humanity that gets this reminder, gets this beautiful word spoken to us that you have worth, you have value, you have dignity. There is shame that you carry that you brought in here this morning. The Lord wants to speak over you to know like you have been made in his image, that he has a royal calling for you, that he wants to work in your life, not just for your own blessing, but for the blessing of other people, that God is inviting you into that, that these words were penned after the people of Israel had been brought out of Egypt. And what had they been doing in Egypt? They were slaves. You know what that slavery did to them? It beat them down every single day and said, you are only what you produce. You make enough bricks, you won't get beaten to death. 
all right? If you stop making the right amount of bricks, if you don't obey, if you don't get the things done, like you are worthless, you're to be put away with, you're to be disposed of. And then the God of the universe comes on the scene and says, that's not the story. That's not what you've been called into. You are an image bearer. And so it continues. It says, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. And there's this invitation here. Take what the Lord has created and take it further and expand it. It was the garden, all right? But there was more work to do. The whole world wasn't a garden at that point. And so there was this cultivation, this invitation to take what God had put there, these raw materials, and expand it and take it further. It says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So, What does this have to do with the kingdom? What does this have to do with on earth as it is in heaven? We have to see this, that not only was this word given and spoken over you and me and the people thousands of years ago that you have worth and value and dignity and you're unique from the animals, it's also kingdom language in this, that in that time, in that place, the way a king would showcase to the surrounding areas that he had conquered, that his kingdom was expanding, is that he would literally have images made, sometimes out of wood or out of stone, and he would have these images of himself or representations of you know, something that represented his kingdom, and those would literally be placed. So a king would come in, he would conquer a new area, he'd conquer a town or a city, and he would set this image up and say, you belong to me now. You live under my rule and my reign. Lest you forget that you, you know, you're a slave, you belong to me. Now, that image was there. It was constantly there as this marker that you live under the rule and reign of some foreign, oppressive king. And now, our God comes on the scene and says, I don't make images of stone or wood. These are flesh and blood. They have my spirit. These are living and moving and breathing and thinking and emotional beings, these images. And you now are called, I am called, As the church, we are called to be these images placed to showcase what does it look like to do relationships in a way that honors God and other people? What does it look like to do our finances, to do our job? How do we view recreation? All of these things are opportunity to say, we live under this king. We serve this king and he brings life and we get to bear witness together about what it looks like to live in his kingdom. So this kingdom language, like you as an image bearer, is a way to say, yeah, you've got worth and value and dignity, but you've also got a calling. You've been placed in a particular spot. Acts 17 tells us the Lord has determined the very time and places in which you would live and you would inhabit. You're not here by accident. This place, the job you have, the neighborhood you live in, the school you have, the social network, all of it determined by the plans of God. You might not like all of it, but it's still part of his plan. And you have been called to be an image bearer. So as a church, are we going to be the image bearers that God has called us to? To see the heavenly realm break into this realm, to showcase here's what it looks like when the rule and reign of God begins to take over. This idea that's expansive, maybe a way to think about it is we are called, I told you to think about these words, justice, righteousness, prosperity. Don't think prosperity gospel, I'll define this in a moment, but we are called to fill the earth, to have dominion, to fill it, to make sure that there's more justice, there's more righteousness, that there's more prosperity. This idea of peace and of shalom. In 2019, we're praying that there's more light than there is darkness, that there's new places where the light is shining into because you and I, not through our own strength, but because we are empowered by the Spirit, 
began to be the church that Jesus has called us to be. And I know in this, I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we can get nervous and think, are we going this kind of social route that it's just about, you know, just taking care of physical needs and we're gonna not talk about Jesus' life, death, the resurrection, how he died for you, the wrath of God that was poured on you. No, we're talking about all of that, all the time, forever and always. But when we understand that, it leads us to be a people that have an impact. One of my college professors and his commentary on the book of Psalms, Hassel Bullock, he said this. He says, we should not be as much afraid of becoming dominated by the so-called social gospel as we should be of neglecting the social aspects of the gospel. There is no way we can preach an authentic gospel of grace and at the same time ignore the social responsibility of the church to show that grace in human relationships. This is what it means to be an image bearer, to say, I've experienced the grace of God and now I wanna showcase this to other people, to showcase what it looks like to live under the rule and reign of our God, to see heaven break in to earth. And we talked about it in Advent. If you were here for that series, you know this, that we're waiting and longing for the true king to come back. We can get a lot of good plans together. We can see the kingdom of light push back the kingdom of darkness, We live in this tension of some ways we're gonna experience that in the here and now, but it's not gonna be fulfilled until Jesus comes back. I don't want you to hear that in this series. If we just work hard enough, we just strategize, we just do these certain things that somehow we're gonna bring this perfect renewal. No, no, that's Jesus's job. But in the meantime, he invites us and he says, hey, work at getting things ready for my return. What would it look like to showcase to the world, here's what it looks like when a group of people so caught up, so so celebrating the grace of God that they've experienced that it flows out. So as we look back, I wanna go back and look at this then. There was a calling for Solomon. That was sort of the historical context, but there are present day implications and applications for you, for me, for us as the church. And it's centered around three words that we'll look at, and they showed up in the opening verses here. And I told you, hey, write these down or pay attention to them. And the first is this word, that is justice. And so part of our calling as a church is to be a people of justice. The Hebrew word that is used some, over 200 times all right, throughout the Old Testament, this idea is everywhere, is mishpat. All right? Last year we did an entire thing about this, a, a calling when we gave to certain endeavors as this mishpat project. But here's the idea, is that we are to be a people that seek to bring about justice. All right, verse one, it says that give the king your justice. Verse two, it says, and you're poor with justice. And so what does that actually mean? And I think this is stuff we've gotta come back to every year, all right, at a minimum every year. Because when we hear that word, there's different things that probably come to mind. And so let me talk about two ways of defining this that we have to see. And one is this retributive, all right? It's this idea of, hey, somebody has done something wrong, like justice needs to be enacted. And that's true, and that's part of what this word means. So normally when you hear justice, it's like, okay, a judge has convened and looked at things like, yep, this person did this, and okay, this person is guilty of such and such a crime or whatever it happens to be. And so there is that aspect. And part of the beauty of the scriptures is when we see in the Old Testament, like an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, like part of that was a gracious thing because in the old, like kind of back in the world at that time, it was like, oh, you knocked my tooth out? All right, well, I'll chop your head off. Like it just ramped it up, right? It wasn't like this one for one. It was like, you did a little thing, now I'm gonna up the ante, all right? And that's kind of how it went. So our God comes in and says, no, 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 no. That's not how it's supposed to be. So even this idea of mishpat of justice was revolutionary. 
But it goes further than that. When the God of the Bible, when our God speaks of being a God of justice, to have a people of justice, he's also talking about this restorative work where we set things right, where things are set right, that there's this right ordering here in the world. So every time we run across this, we got to ask ourselves, is this talking about like a, a punishment that's due and making sure that it's just, or is this talking about bringing a right ordering? And so when we look at like Psalm 72, and you're poor with justice, he's not saying punish the poor because of their poverty. He's saying help them set things right. The Lord sees the marginalized and the broken. He has a, he has a heart for all people, but you cannot read the Bible and think that the Lord doesn't have a special place in his heart for those that are on the fringes. And so there's this restorative work. Psalm 146, seven to nine says this, the Lord, look, he executes justice. He executes mishpat for the oppressed and gives food to the hungry. This is how our God works. The Lord sets prisoners free. The Lord gives sight to the blind. He lifts up those who are bowed down. The Lord loves those who live justly. The Lord watches over the immigrant. He sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. And so over and over again, if we're gonna see on earth as it is in heaven, we have to understand this calling to mishpat, that we have to be a people. We're invited to be a people to bring a right ordering. And so sometimes we look at this and think, oh yeah, well, we're, we're kind of talking about in the realm of like charity. It's like, okay, we can do this, we can help out, but that keeps it in the realm of optional. But when the scriptures speak of Mishpah, we have to know this. It's not talking about something that's optional. It's talking about something that is a right. That the poor, the broken, the marginalized, the people that have been beat up, the people that have been forgotten by society, they have a God-given right for the people of God to serve them. Let me give you an example of this. Throughout the scriptures, this word justice can get translated in different ways. And so there's this really interesting thing in the book of Deuteronomy, and it's talking about the priests that serve the people. And it uses the word mishpat to talk about this priest getting their due for the work that they're doing. And this shall be the priest's due. Now that word there is mishpat. So this person does this work. It is the priest's due. It is the priest's right from the people, from those offering a sacrifice, whether an ox or a sheep, they shall give to the priest the shoulder and the two cheeks and the stomach, the first roots of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the first fleece of your sheep you shall give him. Do you see what's being communicated here? By using the word that way, it's talking about there's, there's a right, there's something that is due. And so when the Lord uses this word mishpat, it's not just step in when you feel like it. It is a calling that the marginalized, the broken, the need, they have a right for the people of God to move toward them. Zechariah 7, 10 to 11, like look at some of our calling here. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Administer true mishpat, true justice. Show mercy and compassion to one another. Do not oppress the widow or the fatherless, the immigrant or the poor. Jeremiah 22, 3, thus says the Lord, do mishpat, do justice and righteousness. Deliver them from the hand of the oppressor, him who has been robbed. And do no wrong or violence to the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, nor shed innocent blood in this place, Proverbs 31, eight to nine, getting at this idea of rights. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. If we're gonna see the Lord's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, this is where it's costly. 
But there has to be an embracing for us as a church to say, this is not for us when we feel like it to sit back. It is a calling to be the church, to bring the manifestation of the Jesus, the Son of God, to showcase, hey, here's what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven breaks in and things are set right. We're not gonna fix it perfectly, but we are called to be this. So that's one word, that is one calling. Now, interestingly enough, and I read it in a couple of these verses, and you see it here in Psalm 72, oftentimes justice and it's paired with righteousness, but they go together. And so there's this, another Hebrew word, this tzedakah, I think is maybe how you say it, I don't actually even remember anymore, but this idea here, is righteousness, and it's about like a right living. Now, we tend to think we hear righteousness, and we think of it in the realm of some private morality, like what you do on your own time with your own resources. You know, are you living a moral, upright life? And there's a righteousness aspect to this. But really what this is getting at and what the, why this is paired with Mishpat is this idea of it's about having a right relationship with God that leads to a working towards right relationships with other people. Maybe a way to think about it is this that if we had this sort of righteousness, we wouldn't actually need mishpat. If you and I lived with a right relationship with our neighbors, with our family members, with our friends, with our coworkers, there wouldn't actually be a need to go in and set everything right to restore things because there'd be this righteousness and this flourishing. But because that doesn't perfectly exist, there's then this calling to say, hey, you can't ignore it. We have to step in, but these are always paired together. And what they lead to, where it speaks of in verse three, let the mountains bear prosperity for the people. It's this Hebrew idea, the word there is shalom. It's about bringing the peace. It's about this idea as image bearers of showcasing the rule and reign of God. God wants to bring to bear. And peace or shalom is not just the absence of conflict. You can think about it this way. You might be in a, just think relationally. It could be with a spouse, with a child, with a friend, whatever. And there's this moment, right, like where you get into an argument and there's a fight. And eventually the, the fight just sort of stops, all right? And there can be kind of that ceasefire, so to speak, and you're just in that, that moment. And you're like, okay, we're no longer fighting. But that doesn't mean things have been perfectly restored. Like it needs to go further. And that's what this idea is getting. It's not just this absence of conflict. It's where everything is perfectly put together the way that the Lord intends things to be. This image that we need to see in this is about a weaving together. The Lord has woven together something beautiful. For a while, my younger daughter, McKinley, was very much into, uh, we would because on numerous times, we ended up at stores I don't normally shop at, like Joanne Fabrics or the, the uh, fabric section of Walmart and places like that. And we were going in specifically on a mission to buy this thread and this material uh, so that she could sort of get together and, and put together these bracelets and different things that, that she was making, all right? Now, if we went into that particular store and we pulled some of these off the shelf and we bought those, those things, all right, and then they just simply stayed on the kitchen table and never were woven together, it wouldn't be doing much good. Like these are all tools that can be used to weave something together. And the idea of shalom is this, that the Lord wove something together. And humanity, because we pursued our own thing, began to pull that apart. And now it's been frayed, it's coming undone, that there's a whole sort of, that in this tapestry that the Lord has woven. And the idea of shalom, the idea of mishpat, the idea of righteousness is for you and I as the church to step into the spaces where things have been torn apart and to do this work of reweaving things. 
In his book, Generous Justice, Tim Keller says it this way, to do justice means to go to places where the fabric of shalom has broken down, where the weaker members of societies are falling through the fabric and to repair it. This happens when we concentrate on and meet the needs of the poor. How can we do that? The only way to reweave and strengthen the fabric is by weaving yourself into it. It's tempting to just stay as that kind of spool of thread and just sit there like, no, I'm, I'm good. You have to begin to sort of empty yourself. You and I have to, re, we have to weave ourselves into this. You know what that's gonna mean? I'm not much of a weaver, for one, but what I do understand is this. The threads are going to touch. There is going to be contact. And the reality is we can't be the church when we sit back and just are just around people, just either by ourselves or just like us. Like there's a calling to weave yourself. Will 2019 end? It will end, but when we look back, will we see that we're more woven into the fabric of our neighborhood, our schools, or our workplaces? Not to become more like that, but to go into the places where the fabric has been torn apart and say, as the church, we're seeking to enter in. How can we do that? The only way to reweave and strengthen the fabric is by weaving yourself into it. Human beings are like those threads thrown together onto a table. If we keep our money, time, and power to ourselves, for ourselves, instead of sending them out into our neighbor's lives, then we may be literally on top of one another. We are not interwoven socially, relationally, financially, and emotionally. Reweaving shalom means to sacrificially thread, lace, press your time, goods, power, and resources into the lives and needs of others. We look at this, and there can be maybe a motivation. There can be like, all right, let's do this. But here's what we see, even in this text, and you've probably felt it already, is that there is a problem. And the reality is King Solomon didn't do this perfectly. Me as an image bearer, I don't do this perfectly. You as an image bearer in your royal calling, you don't do this perfectly. I mean, Let's look at this very quickly in 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4. You don't have to turn there. But what is really interesting is in this succession of kings, Solomon is now off the throne. All right, Solomon and one of his sons is coming into power. And there's a description that is given about Solomon's reign because this son of his is trying to figure out, like, how should I rule and reign? And he goes to the people and he, and he begins to talk with them. And here's the word that is given that describes Solomon's reign. We know from 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 4, that Psalm 72, those, that precious sort of time that, that David spent with Solomon and commissioning him and praying this over him and telling him to be of righteousness, of justice, to seek shalom, to seek flourishing, he did some of it for a time and then he abandoned it. That he began to use his privilege and power not to serve others but to serve himself. And so in 1 Kings 12, 4, we read this. The people say, your father, this is speaking of Solomon, he made our yoke heavy. It's this image of like what an animal would have on their shoulders as they went about their, their work and as they're tethered together. You made, your father made our yoke heavy. So they say to this king that's coming on the scene, now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us and we will serve you. That's what they're hoping for. And if you keep reading, you know that it goes from bad to worse. That this one is Rehoboam and he says, oh, you think what my father did was bad? Wait till you see what I'm about to do. And he uses his privilege, and he uses his power not to bring about God's purposes and God's design and for the human flourishing of others, but to serve his own ends. 
And as I read Psalm 72, I wish I could look at it and say, man, I can't believe what Solomon did or what Rehoboam did or all these other people. I have to see myself in the story. And we'll talk of this more in this series, and I pr promise you it'll probably be uncomfortable. And we'll look at what we've been given and have to ask ourselves, have we used what the Lord has given to us? The power, the influence, the, the privilege that we've been given, that's not for you to walk around and feel guilty about what you've been given. We need to be very clear about that. That's never the intentions in the scriptures. But there is a calling that the Lord has for us to say, hey, to much as, as the Lord has given, then there's, there's an opportunity there. As much that's required. Are we gonna move toward people? Are we gonna see the rights that people have for justice and mercy and compassion? How will we answer this question as a church? How are we using, how are you using your privilege and power? Bruce Walkey says it this way. If we wanna know what it looks like or what it doesn't look like, he says the righteous, he said, are those who are willing to disadvantage themselves to the advantage of their community. We wanna be a people of righteousness. We wanna be a righteous church. And it's gonna take disadvantaging ourselves for the advantage of our community. But the wicked, what Solomon became, what his son became, and down through the line, were those who were willing to disadvantage the community to advantage themselves. May it never be so for us as a church. And yet I know the propensity of my own heart is to wanna to use what I have, what I've been given, to view it as my time, my talent, my financial resources, and I'll give when I want to or I'll do this rather than seeing this calling that the Lord has put on us to serve and to move toward. And so that could leave us in a place of despair, but I wanna encourage you to close this, that there is a promise that's seen in this. Look at verses 18 to 20, that there is a great provision that is given. We'll wrap up here. It says, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. So David gives this word to Solomon, this commissioning, this desire, sort of like, this is what you're to press into. But then there's a sort of doxology. They're sort of stepping back in this moment and just saying, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. And there's this recognition here that yes, Solomon was called to live a certain way. And you and I are called to live in light of the grace that we've received but we need the true and we need the better king. We need the one that David pointed to. We need the one that we just celebrated on December 25th and that we should be celebrating each and every day. The Jesus, the God man that showed up as this little infant born in these humble, broken circumstances who lives a sinless life who administers mishpat and righteousness and shalom and he brings it everywhere that he goes. And how does he do that? By disadvantaging himself for our advantage, for your advantage, for my advantage. That is the story of the gospel. And Solomon was critiqued for a heavy yoke and Jesus comes on the scene and says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I'll give you rest. I won't add to your work. The call of this series is not for us to think, okay, well, Jesus gave you, you know, gave you some grace. Now you gotta go and earn the affections of God. He said, no, no, no. When you live according to his purposes, when you are yoked with Jesus, when you take that upon, it actually is freeing. 
Instead of living for other expectations or for your own kingdom, when we live for God's kingdom, for the good of other people, for God's glory, he's like, that is when you find rest. This isn't to add things up. The religious leaders of the day, they had what was called a yoke, and it was all the religious rules and stipulations that they were adding to the law, and they would literally, sort of figuratively, that would be placed on the shoulders of the people, and it weighed them down. And maybe you think that's what church is, and maybe you're even feeling that this morning, like, I gotta do more. And no, 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 it's to start with what Jesus has done for you. That he took the yoke of your sin and my sin and rebellion and all of that was placed on him when he went to the cross. And the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus. He was disadvantaged for you and for me so that we might actually reap his advantages to have his righteousness and now be able to live as the church. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So as I close in prayer, I wanna give you a moment to respond, to ask yourself, what is it that you need to confess? Maybe where are some of those, those places where you've made it about the kingdom of self? And then celebrate what Jesus invites you into, that his yoke is easy, his burden is light because he has paid for the ultimate burden, that he disadvantaged himself for you. And then begin thinking through, what is it that the Lord might be calling me to, to commit to? What next step is he calling me to? He doesn't want 2019 to look the same as 2018. And you might be like, well, I, but I did a lot in 2018. That's great, but the Lord is calling you to trust him in new ways and in new seasons, and what is that going to look like? So let me pray. I'll give you a moment, and we'll continue in our service. Father, thank you for sending your son so that the burden might be lifted, that heaven broke into this place, that the God-man Jesus moved into our neighborhood and began to show case for us what it looks like to see the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you that we've been given the spirit so we might be empowered for this mission that you've called us to, that we might not lose hope amidst the brokenness that's not just out there in the world, but that's in our own hearts, the areas of darkness that still reside within us. We thank you that Jesus, you are coming back one day to set everything right. We thank you that you help us see that we are poor and broken and marginalized and that you moved towards us that you saw God partly as you bringing that mishpat that justice that you stepped into our lives to bring a right ordering and you invite us into that now as the church and so we're grateful we need your help God I pray that in all of this Father that you would get your glory and that we would experience a great joy we might experience the easiness of your yoke and that the burden has been lifted. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.